This is Paul Washer. Uh, and so there is an appropriate time uh, and, and context for not judging, right? You don't judge hypocritically. I don't tell you to stop doing something that I'm doing myself. And I don't judge the world, right? There is no reason for us to be going around judging the world for the things that they're doing. And I always say that they have no control over. These people are acting out of the only nature they have. And we're holding them to biblical standards when they don't have the ability to do it. But if you see your brother <laughs> caught up in a fault, as we see over in Galatians 1 or 6, uh, 1, it says, you that are spiritual, restore such a one. How could you restore such a one if you're not judging? Right? You would have to look at his actions and see that those actions don't align with where he's supposed to be in order to make any kind of a, 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 an action in that circumstance. And so this uh, not judging can be really skewed. It's something that the world uses, and we need to be very careful as believers that we're not getting uh, caught up in that. We want to look at this topic uh, as to our sermon today of the child grew. And we uh, speak of the child. Now, uh, when you look at this term, it's used several times in Scripture, I would note to you. Now, who do you think I'm referring to when I say the child grew? Jesus, right. But did you know that this uh, same term was used of Moses and the same term was used of Isaac? The same term was used of several other people in the Old Testament, also used of John the Baptist in the same book of Luke, that the child grew. Now, what does this matter to this topic? What does it matter that the child grew uh, with other people? Well, we're going to look at these other examples and see uh, something as it points to Jesus and the purpose of him uh, growing and becoming a man. Uh, and as I think of uh, the natural growth of children, it's a very interesting thing to watch, right? Any of you that have been parents, and I've gotten the opportunity for me as a, a father. I remember when my my first child was born and I was just <laughs> it was an out of body experience to, to see what was going on there. It's like it's not even real what's happening there. And then I saw it the next time and it was uh, still kind of a strange experience. I remind my daughter all the time that uh, she came out. Uh, I held her in my arms and she looked at me and she went. <laughs> and poked her lip out like she was going to start crying and I almost melted into a ball on the ground just to get early. <laughs> the manipulation starts right out of the womb right <laughs> but you you see this happen and and the third time that it occurred uh, with my son it never gets any less amazing the gift of of life that comes from a child being born uh, and so it's a, a precious thing to see this bringing forth of life into the world. Now, the difference between a child and Jesus are, are very vast, right? <laughs> because very early in the life of that child, you start to see that there's a little something going on in the, the psychology of, of children, right? Maybe it was that lip poking out of my daughter <laughs> that did it for me. She knows that uh, there are certain things that she can do and get reactions, and they start to learn that more and more over the course of time, right? Uh, Jesus' experience we're going to see is a little bit different. Uh, now, there's a significance of this term that the child grew. And again, we're going to see that it's used in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, and it states uh, this growth process of a child from coming into the world as a baby and then reaching certain intervals of growth in their life, right? The baby Jesus didn't just come and be born and be some cute baby that was lying in a manger. The baby Jesus grew into a young boy, right? And we see in that uh, context in Luke that he was at, at a very young age able to carry on conversations with adults, and I don't think I, we've said it here often. I don't think it was him just acting because he was God in human flesh. I think he very few times accessed his deity while he was in this body. We're going to see certain words that point to the fact that his wisdom advanced. And this is in the realm of his humanity. 
And so he grew uh, and, and he was able to do certain things that we will point out along the way. Now, uh, again, Jesus was born and he grew in all courses of life. But most importantly, Jesus grew to accomplish all of the things that were set forth by the father. If Jesus had just come and been a baby in a manger, the story would have been nice, but it wouldn't have meant anything to you and I. He grew and he accomplished all of the things that God required, even up to going and dying on the cross on behalf of you and I. And that is the impact for which you and I are here today. Uh, If he had not grew into a man and he had not done this on behalf of us, we should not be sitting here right now. There would be better things we could be doing here today than gathering and talking about a man who just lived. Right. We're talking about a, a baby that came into the world that grew into a man that gave himself on behalf of you and I that has given us the ability to have access to true life. And that is what we're going to look at here today. And so as we think about the growth of the the child, we want to look at, uh, again, uh, the growth of Jesus in the form of his uh, human body, uh, mentally and physically, uh, the purpose of uh, that birth or the birth of the son, and then finally uh, the similarity of the maturing process Uh, after that birth. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're uh, grateful uh, again for the opportunity to uh, be gathered here today and to uh, come to the end of a year uh, that has seen uh, many things happen in in everyone's life. And we can sit back and evaluate everything that's that's occurred and uh, be thankful Uh, most of the time and in most instances uh, for the fact that you've guided us through it all. Uh, We look forward to the next year uh, and the things that you're going to accomplish in each one of our lives. And uh, we look forward, most importantly, to the returning of your uh, son soon. And we, uh, again, look to that uh, as our motivation for going forward. We pray that as we uh, look at uh, this subject matter concerning him today, that it would be Uh, edifying to us, and that we would be able to appreciate uh, the work that your son accomplished on our behalf. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, and so uh, as we go back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, and we've read through in our scripture reading this morning uh, through this context and even all the way to uh, not just him... uh, growing early in his life, but him growing up to the age of 12 years old, right? And being able to have conversations uh, with these teachers of the law. Now, I'm reminded of uh, some of the uh, funny times I have sitting there listening to my son and and some of the things he's able to grasp at a young age. (laughs) It's kind of amazing when when you think you know something, right, concerning animals or any of these other subjects, and a, a little five-year-old can point out things that you might not know so well, right? Uh, well, think about that on steroids as you think about Jesus and the fact that he was here carrying on conversations concerning the law with grown men, right? And this is an amazing thing as you uh, think about his growth, but we'll get there in a bit. Now, in verse uh, 40 of Luke 2, it says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, uh, this word here for child is used generally of one who is living uh, in the time frame uh, uh, from birth uh, to leaving the care of its parents. And so it's a wide range of ages, right, <laughs> from, from birth all the way to adulthood, basically. And so you can see it used in contrast with uh, the adult state in several different places. I don't want to go to all of these, but since we're in Luke, go with me over to Luke chapter 18 and verse 17. Luke chapter 18 and verse 17. And pick it up in verse 15. He says, And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked him. 
But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Now this word uh, here uh, for children is our word for uh, paideia. Uh, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall receive, uh, shall not receive, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little, ch- a little child shall in no wise enter therein. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Master, uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But there you see that word of a, a little child. And so it's it's not an adult, right? It's not anyone that's at the end stages of, of childhood. He's talking about little children here. Uh, and so you see it used in that way. Uh, the use is paralleled with the age of Christ when he was found by the wise man as well over in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 7. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 7. And pick it up at verse 1. It says there, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is it written by the prophet. And thou, uh, and thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not, not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod... Uh, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent, uh, sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. Uh, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Now, of course, we know he had no intentions of doing that thing. Uh, but here you see in the context, the translation here uh, is, is not really necessarily young child, but it's just the word for child, paideia. It's that uh, the context bears it. It was uh, his age was young. And so you see it utilized there as well. Now, the use is likened to the age of a young teenage girl uh, with the word corazion uh, over in uh, Mark chapter five and verse thirty nine. And so here you see uh, a span of age that it can be utilized here, uh, not of a a newborn, but uh, a young lady. Mark chapter 5 and verse 39. And we can pick it up at verse 35. It says, "While uh, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that uh, was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. Now, you might wonder how you jump from this uh, grieving state into this laughter. Well, these were professional mourners that they would bring in in these times uh, to, to lament the situation. And so they're saying, you're crazy. This girl is dead. We've seen her. Uh, but when he had... Uh, put them all out. He taketh the father and the mother of the damsel. And there's our word there for uh, 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 child. Uh, and they, them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and saith unto her, uh, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with 
a great astonishment, and he charged them straightly that no man uh, should know it, and commanded them that something uh, should be given to her to eat. And so here you see this age of, of this young lady. Uh, she's a, a lot younger than a, a baby here, 12 years old uh, in this context. And so uh, the description, going back to Luke, uh, of this period after the Lord's birth, uh, and we, we won't go specifically specifically back there, but we can see it also used of, of uh, uh, John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1 and verse 80, where it says the child grew. Luke chapter 1 and verse 80. So in the context, you have this uh, statement that's made uh, concerning uh, John's father, and he uh, goes through all of this of, of uh, being told that this baby was going to come and, and uh, what his name should be and all of these things. And you come to the end of the chapter and you see that he's born. And what happens in verse 80? And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. And so you see uh, for John, he grew right after the manner of man. He grew physically and mentally. Uh, we're going to see here later. And he went out into the deserts uh, for his habitation. Now, it's stated after uh, the return of the child uh, Jesus with his parents, as we saw in uh, Luke chapter two and verse uh, 40. I left Luke off there. Uh, but then we want to look at the purpose of the birth of the son uh, next. And so. What was his purpose? Uh, we see that he came into this world for many different things. Uh, and it's not specific to this list, but these are important things that I wanted to call out. So as you think about this baby coming into the world, these are the things that he was set to accomplish. Uh, to do the will of the father. Go with me over to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 7. And we can pick it up in verse uh, 5. Well, and, and since we sang this song, we have something better. And I pointed to Hebrews as being that, that book that points this out. Let's go back a little bit to, to verse 1. He says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things uh, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Right. So you see this word for perfect. It has the idea of reaching the expectation of what you're supposed to be. I think of athletics or I think of, of uh, even movie theaters and, and things like that. Any walk of life that you can see people in. You see, people often have potential to be a lot greater than what they currently are at this state. Right. Some people say that word for potential is a bad word right? because a lot of people will lean on that potential and never walk in the fullness of what they're supposed to be. Now, the law could never move somebody from here where they were to the potential of what they could be. Never had the ability to do that. What did, the, what did you need? Verse two, it says, for then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. You see, if that were able to take away sins, those sacrifices they offered, why did they have to do it over and over again every single year? They did it, right? Verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifices and offerings thou wouldest not, or you did not desire, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, Thou hast no pleasure. Then I said, uh, or then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written to do thy will, O God, above when he saith or, or said sacrifices and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin. Thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by law. You see, it was always pointing to the work that was going to be accomplished by Christ. 
These sacrifices simply appeased God and covered over sins, pointing to the eventual sacrifice of the son. And this was his purpose for coming into the world. And bigger than that, for doing the will of the father. Right. What did he say many times over and over again throughout the Gospels? Not my will, but thou will be done. Right. And so this is very important. We also see over in Luke chapter one and verse 33 that he was uh, there to sit on the throne of his father, David, his human father. Luke chapter one and verse 33. Pick it up in verse 30, uh, verse 30, he says, and the angel said unto her, speaking of Mary, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. You see, he came into this world to be a king for Israel and to sit on the throne of his father, David, and to fulfill all of the promises that had been made for that nation. And yet in their rejection of him, they lost this opportunity uh, for the current time. We see this will also be fulfilled in the future. In Matthew chapter one and verse 21, we see that he came to save his people from their sins. And pick it up in verse uh, 19. It says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel from the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that thing which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Uh, And so you see it here in verse 23, it Uh, states also that we see that he was uh, to present the opportunity for God to dwell with men. And so we'll read forward. It says in verse 22, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord or, or of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall come with child or shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and thou shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God is with us. Uh, and so you see that here. Now, what was its purpose? Not. Now, I, I am uh, very critical a lot of times of Christmas because uh, my wife will say I'm the Grinch <laughs> and my my kids will agree <laughs> as they like to watch the movie every year. Um, but I think during this time of year of what Jesus actually came to do. Right. And there are many misconceptions that people have in their minds concerning what Jesus actually came here for. And this is important to remember. He did not come to remain a child in a manger, right? And we see that contrasted with this statement in Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, the child grew. He was a baby and then he grew. And we see immediately following that he grew to the age of 12 years old, right? And immediately following that in the next context, it jumps several years to the age of 30 where he starts his ministry. You see, it wasn't important that he was a little baby in a manger. It's a cute story, right? It's nice. It's good to understand that he came into this world in the manner that humans do. More important to understand that the child grew into something better, something bigger uh, than just a baby uh, in a manger. And so uh, that's important to remember. He did not come also to show forth his deity. (gasps) Blasphemy, right? (laughs) Wrong. He did not come to show forth his deity at all. 
And I tell you, of course, over the course of time, we'd have to tie a lot of scripture together as you're reading through the gospel and other parts of scripture. But you will see a continuing theme of him acting in the realm of his humanity as powered by the Holy Spirit and setting an example for you and I that human beings can live a life that's higher on a higher plane than what you see here now. It wouldn't have been uh, uh, shown forth if he had just come down acting as a man out of his divine power. What would be the point? He showed forth the possibility for you and I that we can live this life, too, as empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, he did not openly manifest his outward form. Go with me over to Luke chapter 9 and verse 29 as we look at the Mount of Transfiguration. And you see... (laughs) Him just pulling back the curtain just a little bit for you to be able to see uh, that he was indeed still God. And this is something that he uh, kind of veiled with his humanity. I like the way the pastor often says it. He wasn't walking around just glowing, right? (laughs) There wasn't light coming off of him. He didn't look any different than any other man, right? Except for his own individual genetics. But he, he was just a man, as you would have saw him. Nothing looked any different until this day when he showed forth just a little bit of his glory. In verse 28, it says, and it came to pass about uh, and eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance, the outward appearance of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, uh, there Talk with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake with uh, spake of his decease, which he uh, should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and two men that stood with him. Now, imagine you had just been walking around with this guy looking like a man. You think that he's God. He's done all of these amazing things and you're pretty convinced that he's God and then you fall asleep and wake up to see this glory shining about right gonna have a little bit of an impact on you and you see the impact that it has on Peter here as he often does he can't shut up uh, but we see uh, and it came to pass in in verse 33 uh, as they departed from him Peter said unto Jesus master it is good for us to be here Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what to say. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I don't know what to say, I usually (laughs) be quiet. Uh, Peter did not have that ability to control himself. uh, So he says this. But you see, the outward form of his deity was not manifested most of the time during his earthly ministry. If he would have, you would have saw him walking around. Again, he looked just like a man, except for this time you see here uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. I can further express that by Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. Go with me over there. And this is looking back retrospectively at when he came into the world. Now, I don't subscribe to... The what would Jesus do mantra, because (laughs) I say Jesus could uh, walk on water. I'm not going to go out to the river there and attempt to walk on water because I'm going to fall in. (laughs) Jesus could calm the stormy seas. I'm not going to get out there on a boat and test this and see if I can tell the wind, peace be still, and and see what happens. You guys probably wouldn't see me anymore, right? Uh, Jesus could do many things that you and I can't do. But what he did do that we can do is manifest godliness, and he made this possible, right? So as we're living out who we are in him, it tells us over in First Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen, this mystery concerning godliness is that we can live out God's quality of life in human flesh just like He did, right? And that's the what would Jesus do moment. But here we see in, in chapter two, you have this discord that's going on among these believers, and He's telling them that they should be of the same mind. They have access to the same position in Christ and they should be accessing it. And so in verse one, he says, if there be 
therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort from love, if any fellowship from the spirit, if any bows and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be not really there like minded. This word has the idea of same souled, right? And so you're of the same uh, emotional uh, state and it comes from you being where you need to be in Christ. Having the same love and being of one accord or or one frame of mind uh, in Christ. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Now, the pastor is on a, I think, a mission to to drive psychology into the ground. And I, I mostly agree with him most of the time that that this psychology that tells you that it's more important about what's going on with you than what's going on with other people is what is really hurting people in this world. When the, the focus becomes on yourself and you can't think about anybody but yourself, it's going to drive you crazy, right? And this is opposite to Christianity. It tells us right here, esteem others better than yourself. Think about others before you think about the things of yourself, Very important. He says in verse four to reiterate it or to go further, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So you want to do what Jesus did? Here's where you can mimic what he did, who being in the form of God, having the outward form of God, thought it not robbery or a thing to be seized to. To be equal with God. And so his uh, state that he was in prior to coming into this world and taking on a body, he didn't think it was something he needed to grasp onto. He was willing to put that aside. Now, you and I don't have the ability to do that, right? We can't step down from uh, the glory and into who we are, but we can put aside the things that matter to us for those things that are important to other people. And that's the comparative there. Um, uh, who being in the four, uh, verse seven, it says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the outward form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. Wherefore God also hath exalted him and given him a name above Uh, or which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so here you see during his earthly ministry, it wasn't important for him to express the fact that he was God, right? It was important for him to act and do those things which were in line with what God had put on him on this earth to do specifically to die on the cross for you and I, that we might have life. Uh, and you see that here. Uh, and he did not come. Also his purpose for coming uh, was not to do his own will. And we won't go there, but over in John chapter six and verse 38, we see it stated. Uh, he did not come to do his own will, but the will of the father that sent him. Now, there's uh, some similarities uh, of the maturing uh, process or the maturation process after birth. And we talked about some of these that are seen uh, back in the Old Testament. And I don't want this to become the focus. Uh, I often write my notes out and it seems like, well, I'll just fly through these and (laughs) it won't be very long. And uh, I don't have a good concept of time, I don't think, when I'm making my notes because <laughs> we're already uh, way far through this and we've got a long ways to go. So let's hit on these uh, just briefly here because uh, they're not as important as the overall theme of, of Christ growing or Jesus growing. Uh, but we see the growth of uh, important Old Testament figures and there are some similarities between them. Uh, We see uh, with a lot of these that they were preceded by extraordinary uh, visitation uh, from the pre-incarnate son of God. Uh, And you'll see this term, the angel of the Lord came and he talked uh, with these people's parents and then they were born. Uh, But this uh, same term we see used concerning Jesus that the child grew. We see it used of them also. And so, of course, in the Old Testament, you have Hebrew instead of Greek. And so 
rather than paideia, it's the word for yelled, uh, speaking of a child. And this word for growth or to grow is the, the Hebrew verb for gadal. And so the purpose of growth uh, that we see here, uh, we see that they grew or to increase in strength through the natural growth of a child uh, from one stage to another. Uh, uh, and so we see in the context of most of these is uh, used with the newborn uh, being weaned or past, just past that age of, of weaning uh, with reference to them. Let's look at a couple of them uh, with Isaac over in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 8. We see that Isaac grew. Now, we all know the backstory here with Abraham and uh, being old in age and uh, further uh, going outside of what God had intended for him to do, to have this baby with Hagar and then uh, actually having uh, Isaac. Uh, you see, uh, in this context, it creates a little bit of trouble uh, with Sarah. Uh, pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 21. And it says there, and the Lord uh, visited Sarah, and he said, uh, and he had said, as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Now, uh, we look back at the Old Testament a lot of times, and, and for me, it's validation, right? God says he'll do certain things, and if we believe that this is the word of God, we can look back at these things that he said that he would accomplish, and that he accomplished, and know that as we go into the New Testament, the same thing is true, right? He said that he would send a Savior into the world. He sent that Savior, right? So these promises that we have in the New Testament, we can take them to the bank. God over and over again promises things and completes those things that he says he's going to, to, to uh, complete. A God that cannot lie, that can be counted upon. Uh, in verse 3, it says, And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, being eight days old, and God had, as God hath commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son uh, was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me uh, to laugh so that all that hear me will laugh with me. Are you guys laughing? <laughs> and she said, who would have uh, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck for I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day. Uh, that Isaac was weaned. And so you see this weaning uh, in, in concert with this term for the child grew. And so it's just past that age of weaning or, or past the age of um, um, yeah, weaning. <laughs> and so uh, it goes on to uh, tell the story of Sarah's difficulty there with, with Hagar and with Ishmael and uh, her driving out of them and God's agreeing with it. Uh, but you see this idea here of, of Isaac growing uh, and being weaned. The same similar thing happens with Moses. And we won't go to these other ones. I'm just going to kind of highlight them here. You guys have the notes there if you want to go back on your own. Uh, but we see that there was no divine visitation necessarily with Moses's parents. Uh, uh, again, possibly due to the Gentile interaction here. But he was nursed by his mother. And he was brought to Pharaoh's daughter after his nursing. And so we see this again, this idea of the child grew. Uh, his purpose was to deliver his people, uh, Israel, uh, from their captivity to Egypt. We see the same thing stated with Samson over in Judges chapter 13, and verse 24. And this is preceded by an appearance from the angel of the Lord. And we see the growth of Samson spans from his birth. Uh, to his adulthood. And his purpose, again, was to deliver his people, uh, Israel, from their enemies. And then we see, lastly, with Samuel, over in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 21 and 26, that the visitation of the Lord occurs again here, and the growth of Samuel under the guidance uh, of Eli is at view. And so the child grew as he's guided along by Eli, and his purpose was to uh, be in dedicated service to the Lord. Now, we looked at uh, John the Baptist back in uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 80, and this statement made concerning him uh, that he grew, right, and that he 
uh, I would say grew physically and mentally in, in uh, uh, learning and maturation. And he was strengthened by the spirit. Now, it's interesting that the same exact statement that's made concerning the Lord was made concerning John the Baptist. And these are two people, uh, one that opened the pathway for the other one to come onto the scene. So these two things are stated concerning these two people. And then what happens in chapter three? He lays the foundation and opens the door uh, with this baptism for the, the Lord to begin his ministry. And so very interesting. Those those things are stated with each other there. Um, and so going to page or well, I don't know what page on you guys notes, but looking at this point for the growth of, of Jesus and going back to that in Luke chapter two and verse 40. Luke chapter two and verse 40, and we'll kind of land somewhat here as for the rest of this. <coughs> we see uh, in this statement that's made uh, concerning Jesus growing. We see the description is concerning his initial growth uh, from a baby. And so as it talks about a, a child, it's coming immediately after him being born. Right. And, and coming into the presence uh, of, of Simeon. And so uh, he's, he's a baby and he grew and waxed strong in spirit and was filled with wisdom. Uh, now, the same growth process, again, is described concerning John, where it says that he was filled with wisdom and God's favor was upon him. Now, this idea of wisdom here is the proper application of knowledge. Now, as you're looking at kids, you have a different expectation of what kids should know at different ages in life. Right. I read uh, a couple years back these tests that they used to have for eighth graders and they were probably on a college level <laughs> to where we are now. It seems that we're getting not smarter as time goes by, but uh, people are getting uh, well. Maybe use some good terms here. We're, we're not advancing in, in our, our knowledge, right? We might be learning more things, but we don't have wisdom of how to apply those things that we know. There's a lot of information out there readily available to people, but we don't know how to apply that information in given situations. That's wisdom, right? It's one thing to know facts about something. It's a whole nother thing to know what to do with those facts. Here we see as Jesus grew, even before the age of 12, he knew how to apply the things that he learned. How do we know that? We see this in his interaction with these teachers of the law. You have a young man <laughs> below the age of 12 sitting here interacting with teachers. That's an amazing thing. Uh, in this context and not just uh, talking of shooting the breeze. He's carrying on a conversation uh, concerning things that matter uh, with them. Now, the immediate uh, proof, again, is seen in this this journeying. And so in verse uh, verses 42 through 52, we see uh, this stated. And let's go back there. Verse 42, it says, and when the uh, when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the feast um, and when they had fulfilled the days uh, as they returned, the child tarried behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they supposing him to have been in the company went a day's journey and they sought him among their kinsfolks and acquaintances. Uh, and when they found him not, they tur turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of doctors. Now, this word for Doctors is not our word that we would use for doctors. It's more your doctorate of, of a college or something like that, seen in educational terms. So it's a, a teacher, uh, both hearing them and asking them questions. So he's sitting back like a student in a college, listening to everything that they're having to say and being very conversant with everything that they're saying at the age of 12 years old. And all that heard him were astonished. Now, you might think, OK, maybe this is just something that they did during this time, because uh, as we've said, people are not getting smarter over the course of time. Maybe they were just this this smart back then. This is how everyone was. No, it says everyone that heard him was astonished. Right. This is not something that was normal that he was doing in this this circumstance uh, at his understanding and his answers. Not only that he's able to understand them, 
but that he's able to converse with them uh, back in his dialogue. Uh, and we see that there. Uh, in verse 52, we see past this that he continued again and advanced uh, mentally and physically. And so it says, uh, pick it up in verse uh, 51, it says, And he went down uh, with them uh, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them, speaking of his parents. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. And so uh, this idea of wisdom again is he's advancing from where he was. It already said that he had wisdom to a point, but he advanced again in wisdom and in stature. This idea of stature here is just his, his physical growth. Now, this word for increase is an interesting one as well, and it deals with the natural progression of uh, a thing from one state to the next. And so as you think about children, there are little markers that they usually have for children and what they should be doing at certain ages, right? And uh, a child might be able to hold his own bottle or <laughs> a child might be able to drink, drink milk or eat food and these different things that happen. Uh, and then the child is potty trained and then the child, these different stages that occur, right? All of these different things are looking at this kind of this progression. And that's what this word uh, deals with. Now, I'm not going to go to all of the different verses that I have there in your notes for the usage of that word. But over in Romans chapter 13 and verse 12, we see it used of the progression of uh, metaphorical night. And so Paul says over there, the night has progressed. Right. And you see different courses of of night occur. And he's using that more in a metaphorical sense uh, of the time passing. We see it used as the progression of Paul in the Hebrew faith in uh, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 14. And then of bad doctrine from bad teachers in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16. And finally, of the progression of the influence of men acting contrary to godliness in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. Now, uh, these areas that he increased, and again, we talked about it in wisdom, is that proper application of knowledge and stature is the biological profile encompassing the individual stages of life. And so he advanced through these individual stages. And lastly, it says that he increased in favor, both with God and men. And so I would say he accomplished the given things that God required of him at these different intervals uh, and received favor. Uh, favor is different than grace, right, than what we're given, because all of the things that we're given by grace are on the basis of what Christ has accomplished. And before then, we see that Old Testament saints still received favor, right? So they did something that they were supposed to, and God had favor upon them. And we see this with Jesus as well. Uh, and we see that men also viewed him favorably. Uh, and that's an interesting statement there because they certainly wouldn't be viewing him favorably for long as he gets into his ministry. Uh, and then it's interesting to me, as you look at this, uh, past this statement that's made that he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men, we come into chapter three and then you see him going to be baptized by John and then starting his ministry, right? And so I would say we jump from his birth to the age of 12 and then to the age of 30, right? And him starting his ministry. And so, uh, again, uh, we kind of postulate. I watch a lot of these movies and shows concerning Jesus sometimes, and they always talk about what he would have done when he was a baby, right? A bird fell out of the sky and broke its arm, and he went over here and healed the bird. <laughs> and all of these different things concerning him. Why are these things not written about in scripture? Why do we have such limited things written about him in his childhood? I would submit to you because the most important parts of his life came in the last three years of his life. It was in his ministry that he started. It wasn't in all of these things that happened to him as a kid. We learned the things that we needed to learn about him as a kid. He was born just like a man, right? He was exceptional as a child. We see that in that he interacted with these uh, lawyers and, and doctors like he did. And he grew into the adult that God desired for him to be and started his ministry and was obedient to all of the things that God required from that point on. Um, and so we see that. His purpose uh, and, and kind of closing it out here uh, with, with some statements did not end with his birth. His purpose did not end with his exceptional childhood. 
His purpose did not end with his baptism from John. His purpose did not end with the miracles that he accomplished. His purpose did not end with his death or resurrection. His purpose did not end with his seating at the right hand. His purpose is to provide a way for men to enter into the presence of God. And guess what? He accomplished that purpose. And without him coming into this world and being a baby and laying the foundation for you and I to be able to walk in the fullness of what it means to have God being shown forth in human flesh, we would be lost, right? We might as well eat, sleep, and be married, do whatever it is that you like to do, because there's no purpose to anything else on this earth apart from Jesus, right? He is essential to everything for you and I. And so in order for that to happen, yes, he had to come. He had to be born as a baby in a manger. And it's an amazing story to be able to read about. It's amazing the things that God did to bring him along and bear him into being a a young man. It's an amazing thing that he was obedient to every single thing that God the Father required. It's an amazing thing that he is seated at the right hand of the Father for us now. So as we go into this new year, may we access the power that's been granted to us by the work that he accomplished. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful uh, for your plan. We're grateful that you've laid it out and that in discussion uh, in past times, we, we know that you had a will. We know that the Son had a will. We know that the Holy Spirit had a will. But we're grateful that you and the other persons of the Godhead worked so perfectly together, that you were able to, uh, you come up with this plan and the the, uh, Holy Spirit and the Son to be willing to carry it out. And we know uh, that all of the things that we have now by grace are a result of the obedience of your Son uh, uh, to come into this world and take on a body and to be willing to die uh, and be raised again on behalf of us. We are uh, grateful for that. We're minded as we go into this uh, new year that we can only operate uh, and do those things that are satisfying to you out from his power. And so we pray that we would uh, be focused on that and that we would be able to uh, be led by the Spirit and that we would be empowered to bring you glory through all we say and do. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.